0: This is the Mortgage Solutions Podcast. Catch up with the latest news on our website at mortgagesolutions.co.uk.
1: Hello and welcome to our podcast today. An awareness of home, the space you have, how you use that space and the time you spend there has been brought sharply into focus since the first lockdown in March this year. The country's divided sharply into the haves and have nots. Many have suffered the lockdown in tower blocks or in cramped conditions with no outside space other than parks. Coupled with the landslide of financial complexities and difficulties many have suffered this year, it's no surprise perhaps that Shelter reported 25,000 calls to its emergency helpline in just the last two months. That's a call every minute. So I'd like to welcome uh, our guest today, Phil Rickard, Head of BM Solutions, and Michael Stickland, Head of Partnerships at Shelter. A huge welcome to you both. And we'll move straight into to our questions. Now, Shelter and BM Solutions have been working together for many years. Uh, how many exactly is that, Phil?
2: So I think um, it, it's around 16, uh, maybe 17 years, uh, Victoria, and... I guess thinking back to when we first set the partnership up, it just seemed like a good thing for us to do, you know, support a very worthwhile um, charity, um, and and also at the time we were building our intermediary business up, uh, very much in a growth phase. You know, some of the things we've we've achieved through that period, I'm I'm particularly proud of the way this partnership has uh, has operated. If I was uh, if I was sort of calling out a few things that we've uh, that we've done together, really proud of the fact. I think we're we're not far short of donating. Uh, two million pounds since we first started and and I guess our two organizations share a mutual interest um, and it's that interest in the UK housing agenda. We've been able to sort of compare notes throughout time on major issues affecting the housing market Um, and whilst we'll we'll never see eye to eye entirely, um, there's certainly some middle ground that's always been found. and I think it's a partnership that's uh, that served the mutual interest in housing really well. And certainly, you know, we're both on the same page when it comes to a good quality and balanced housing agenda.
1: And Michael, uh, if I could have your side to uh, the partnership on what it's meant to you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Victoria. Um,
0: I did feel your, your records are spot on. So our database has it as 16 years this year, which is absolutely incredible. Just under £2 million raised, which obviously comes at a time in terms of our partnership with BM Solutions when homelessness has been on the rise over the last couple of decades and shelter has had to raise more and more money just to keep pace with the level of demand that we're seeing, sadly, from people who come to us looking for help. So it's an incredibly valuable partnership purely from a financial perspective. But then when you layer in, as Phil said, the kind of shared interest in the housing market across the UK and the fact that BM has absolutely acted as a a, a really good sounding board for shelter on many of the issues affecting the PRS. And in particular, in the last couple of years, some of the work that we've done together around uh, our No DSS campaign, which is looking at some of the discrimination that people who are in receipt of housing benefit has faced in the private rented sector and BM actually standing up and acting as a, a really strong voice against that discrimination and helping us to stamp out some of that, um, and consequently give hopefully hundreds of thousands of people um, you know, simpler and more free access to the private rented sector, which is an amazing thing that makes a, a really tangible difference to people's lives.
1: It's a good point. I mean, what's the role of the private rental sector in driving up the caliber of housing in this country?
0: The size of the sector has grown incredibly dramatically over the last 20 or so years. You've seen uh, the private rented sector is now a a go-to form of housing for many people that historically would have been housed in social housing. Um, People are seeing it as a kind of long-term housing option now um, in the absence of social housing. And absolutely, landlords have a big obligation to make sure that those those properties meet the kind of standards that we would expect um, for people renting in the UK. Uh, Unfortunately, I think, you know, Shelter research over the last few years has pointed out that um, many homes in the private rented sector still don't meet those good standards, but it is worth saying that the shelter view is absolutely that the vast majority of private landlords do the right thing and, and provide vital housing. In a market um, that that needs it, frankly, um, I think the the key thing for us though is that the the standard of housing in the private rented sector is absolutely a, a, a debate that needs to be had. Um, but I think more than anything, we are focused on the makeup of the housing market. And the kind of profile of the different options available to people, and for us, there's a there's there's a really important discussion that needs to be had about the role of social housing alongside alongside the private rented sector, to make sure that people who um, need access to, access to social housing are catered for, and those particularly on low incomes, particularly in, in major cities across the UK, your, your London's, your Birmingham's, your Manchester's, have access to the kind of housing that 20 years ago lots of people um, almost took for granted. Uh, and unfortunately, those housing
2: options are no longer there. Just coming in uh, off the back of that, there's some very well said things there, Michael. And, and Victoria, you will know, mine is a very well beaten drum in terms of the role that landlords play. And it's fair to say that the private rented sector um, and indeed landlords themselves have faced many challenges uh, since private renting first started. I mean, even way back before Victorian times, we've seen challenges throughout time. But it is safe to say the last four or five years has been a particularly tough year uh, for landlords, and, and that layering of legislation, um, which has been aimed at driving up, you know, the quality and the calibre of housing stock, but also the quality of landlords themselves, has just added, you know, massive complexity into a sector and probably not done the job that it was intended to. Michael's alluded to it that the problem here is that not all landlords are bad. And certainly, not all landlords provide substandard accommodation. In fact, it's the opposite. The vast majority of landlords provide good quality homes uh, for those people who, you know, I think need it most. I guess that the, the problem is that the extremes, as Michael touched on, um, and we've absolutely got to do some work around the extremes. Um, you know, and and it's that problem of people with very little resources and very little money. Often ending up in the lowest quality housing in the sector that gets the the attention, and that's where the focus needs to be.
1: One of the most interesting things, I think, um, in this debate, and nobody would dis- disagree with that. I think there's a letter from 16 Tory MPs on Shelter's website, which uh, which said that home ownership is the prize, but as Conservatives, we deal in reality, and it's simply out of reach for many of those who loaned us their vote last year. Too many people across the country have spent this year trapped indoors in housing not fit for purpose, but accruing rents they could ill afford. The letter goes on to say the country can invest better in home ownership. So, the question is, what's going wrong? I mean, it's such a complex question, Um, but how should the government be investing to address so many of the social problems and inequalities we see, Michael? Can I come to you?
0: You make a very good point that coronavirus has definitely shone a light on the housing situations that uh, so many people face across our country. Um, I, th- I think what you're seeing really there's a there's a very interesting graph that we uh, spend quite a lot of time looking at at Shelter, which is the proportion of new homes built every year that are social homes and. What you're seeing at the moment is unfortunately the, the, the result of many decades worth of underinvestment in the social housing sector. You had a, a, a real boom back in the kind of 60s and 70s or up until the 60s and 70s following World War Two, where at one point we were building up to as many as a quarter of a million social homes every year. At the moment, the kind of um, the, the situation regarding social homes is that as a country, we build on average five to six thousand every year and there's one point two million on the waiting list. So there's a complete imbalance between supply and demand for social housing. And that's really what this letter kind of alludes to. I think uh, the country is very much waking up to the fact that we cannot expect people to continue to live in these conditions. And unfortunately, when you have been forced to spend the best part of six months um, in your home, isolating from society, if you don't have the luxury of living in a nice place um, and having a a kind of warm, comfortable and secure home, that is a bit of a nightmare and that is the reality that people in this country have been faced with for many years unfortunately in growing numbers and I think the letter from the 16 Conservative MPs is a really positive uh, recognition that we can do better as a country and I think um, you know Shelter's view is that we really hope that coronavirus and the pandemic is an opportunity to think quite carefully about how we do housing better in this country and how we provide a more balanced housing sector that caters to people, as Phil says, at the extremes that desperately need it. But I, I would just say, you know, we we use that term at the extremes. I mean, I, I think it can be a little bit of a, a red herring in some respects, because I think there's a huge population of people who uh, are in work, but unfortunately cannot afford to keep pace with some of the rents that we're seeing in the private rented sector. I think about 55% of people who are stuck in temporary accommodation across the UK, are actually in work. So it's perhaps not as extreme as one might think uh, to find yourself in a situation where you can't afford to live in the private rented sector and therefore you are technically homeless. And I think that's the opportunity as we come out of the back of coronavirus is how do we invest in a social housing sector that transforms people's lives um, for the better, but also gives us a really valuable asset that generates um, an income for us as a country. The amount of money that we're spending on temporary accommodation as a country has ballooned in recent years, and it just doesn't make sense socially or economically
2: anymore to keep that system going.
1: Phil, your views on that one?
2: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting letter indeed, and and certainly agree with you know, the majority of what Michael said there. It might be one of those areas where we're searching for a bit more middle ground because naturally I'll probably take more of a, a landlord type view. And, and I guess it's back to that. You know, Michael's made a, a brilliant point about uh, increasing rents. Uh, although, you know, there's some press articles this morning that have talked about uh, rents uh, not growing for the, for the second or third month in a row. But, but I think rents overall have had to go up, and it's a, it's an unintended consequence of some of those uh, legislative changes that I've talked about, changes in the way landlords are taxed, uh, changes in stamp duty, and, and and the constant layering of change into the sector, which has come at more cost for landlords. You know, who at the end of the day are running a business. Um, that that's that's the unintended consequence of what we're seeing in terms of the changes. And I think it's all very well saying that. You know, too many people have been trapped indoors uh, accruing rent they can ill afford, barring those tenants who choose to live in rented accommodation. And, and there are plenty of those around and, and can afford to do it and, and indeed can afford to choose where they live. Landlords are, are basically familiar, fulfilling a need and it's the, the need left by that gap in uh, social housing that, that Michael's talked about so well. And I think if we if we consider that landlords are running a business, you know, and two thirds of landlords uh, with property portfolios have some kind of mortgage to pay, if the tenant doesn't pay, then then how does it work from a business perspective? So it, it's, it's starting to come to a head, I think. Uh, and we definitely need a strong private rented sector uh, fulfilling those sort of specific needs that Michael talked about. But it's also a housing agenda that should be working in unison between home ownership social housing and private renting you know all operating in unity Uh, and and that's what we're not seeing and that's the bit that needs uh, focus and attention uh, rather than going back to to landlords themselves and and constantly layering in change which comes with a cost.
0: Phil I I think many really good points there and uh, I I totally agree with you that um, you know unfortunately in the kind of housing sector that we've got at the moment often in those Examples at the extremes, particularly when people, you know, for example, lose their job in the midst of a pandemic. Nobody wins. The landlord doesn't win. The tenant doesn't win. And neither do we as, as a as a taxpayer, I suppose. Um, I think the, the really interesting thing about the the letter from the Conservative MPs is that it's one of the first times that I've seen, uh, particularly a Tory government, begin to talk about social housing as a, I think the term they used was a springboard for success. And uh, one of the major problems that we faced at Shelter is that there has been for some time a little bit of a stigma attached to social housing. I mean, if I look back on my own childhood, you know, I grew up in uh, a council flat in uh, sunny Peckham in southeast London. um, And it's quite easy for people actually... You know, when you quote unquote make something of yourself, you know, I was the first person in my family to go to university, get a degree, get a half decent job um, and kind of push my way up the career ladder. It's quite easy for people to talk about their success, almost in spite of the fact that they grew up in social housing. But actually, when I look back. If it wasn't for social housing, my family would have been in a real mess. Um, You know, my dad, unfortunately, had to give up work in my mid-teens to look after my mum, who was diagnosed with MS. I had a younger brother who um, was autistic and needed a lot of care from my father at the same time. And it was only really because my parents had that really stable kind of housing situation that um, provided a bit of a bedrock for me to go on and, and go to college and then university and afford to live at home uh, for the first couple of years after graduation so that I could get a decent job. That kind of opportunity, unfortunately, isn't afforded to many young people now. And I think that's the real value that social housing can bring to people's lives. It does give you that, as I say, that bedrock to hopefully go on and and achieve your potential. And I think it was really interesting hearing the Conservative MPs talk about social housing in those terms.
2: I think that's so nicely put, Michael, and a great example of, of where it's worked and how it should work. I think I think we're both on the same page. It's that middle ground that we're we're seeking. It's
1: it's a zeitgeist time, isn't it? Really, a time when people are talking about subjects and understanding subjects perhaps uh, more sharply drawn um, than they've ever seen them before. So perhaps you know now is the time for that sort of momentum together. Thanks for that, Michael. The no DSS stipulation, talking talking about this mix of housing and how it could all interplay, the no DSS stipulation, which you touched on earlier, Michael, has been found unlawful twice in the UK. Uh, the last time in September, actually, this year at Birmingham County Court with support from shelter, in fact. But people continue to be discriminated against on rental listings. So how can this be stamped out? Phil, is that something I can come to you on?
2: I guess it is one of those examples we talked about uh, earlier on, and I've said from the start, you know, this is where Shelter and BM's partnership works uh, incredibly well. You know, through the open and honest discussion that Michael and I have had, and you know, with Shelter's policy team, and a, a well-directed uh, campaign from the start from from Shelter, and then from me being able to take the debate to the uh, intermediary mortgage lenders' association, so Imla's table, which. Victoria, as you know, has over 40 lenders focused on intermediary mortgage lending uh, sitting around that table and have a debate around that table several times and, and then see those lenders that hadn't changed their policy over time, you know, align policy to allow for DSS uh, lettings, which has been a, a brilliant result and, and the right outcome uh, and a great example of how our partnership really works. I think i think you've touched on a point there's still some work to do i think with some letting agents michael might know a little bit more about that but certainly from a from a mortgage industry perspective you know we've uh we've i'd like to think we've done our bit and you know from a bm perspective it's a part of our own policy that we changed i would say seven eight maybe even nine years ago uh, and it's a change to our policy that we made because it made perfect sense and it was certainly doing the right thing
1: michael how much of a problem is this still
0: well we're, we're definitely still seeing people come to us asking for help because they are being locked out of the private rented sector by some of these no dss clauses as they're called i mean you're right the the, the couple of court cases that we've um actually managed to take through the system this year have proved huge wins in uh you know just clarifying, I suppose that this is absolutely illegal discrimination, and it won't be tolerated. I think there's a piece to do around education to make sure that people understand that, and that landlords and letting agents uh, really uh, kind of connect to the fact that this is illegal. It's not, you know, optional um, whether you choose to have this clause on your adverts or not. Feels right. Um, the BM in particular have done a huge job in uh, helping us stamp out clauses in mortgage contracts that um, landlords have kind of hidden behind, for want of a better phrase, in the, in the past and said, well, you know, I'm not allowed to let my property out to people on housing benefit because my mortgage stipulates that I'm not able to do that. And we're now we're now in a position, thankfully, where 99% of the buy-to-let mortgage uh, market in the country actually is no longer using no DSS clauses. So that's that's absolutely no longer an excuse for letting agents and landlords and I think the key thing is that there there are no excuses now. You know, this has been found to be illegal in a court of law. We will continue to take um, legal action where we see people being illegally discriminated against. And hopefully, over time, we'll see quite a drastic reduction in the number of people that are coming to shelter asking for help with this kind of problem.
1: Thanks, Mike. I'm tempted to ask who the 1% are left, but perhaps we'll save the naming and shaming for our journalists on Mortgage Solutions. What needs to happen to promote the building of social housing in this country? I mean, th- this government talks a lot about levelling up. Um, so what what are the prospects of that actually happening? Um, Michael, can you lead on that?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, we're feeling quite positive about it at the moment. I mean, do you, you've already highlighted the letter from 16 Conservative MPs. To some extent, that's kind of unprecedented to have um, a group of Tory MPs coming together and making the case for social housing. I think, um, as we've touched upon already, coronavirus has really shone a light on some of the problems we have uh, in the the housing market in the UK. And there is a lot of talk across government at the moment about, you know, levelling up, building back better. It feels like there is definitely political will to do things differently and to hopefully leave the country in a better place post-coronavirus and address some of the social challenges that the pandemic has highlighted. I mean, the other thing I'd say is that you, you have seen huge um to use that word again unprecedented changes in the way that we think about homelessness over the last year as well so you've had the everyone in campaign where we've taken thousands of rough sleepers off the streets and got them into temporary accommodation and i think while that's definitely not a sustainable long-term solution to the problem it does highlight that where there is real political will you can actually make huge strides in tackling quite complex social problems in very short periods of time so for us, you know, we're, we're excited to see um, the levelling up announcement and the £4 billion um, being put towards regeneration programmes across the country. I think we would say that you know as far as the need for social housing goes that kind of money is only going to scratch the surface but um, shelter research has definitely highlighted over the last couple of years that social housing can be seen as an investment and not a handout and actually if you crunch the numbers hard you can get to break even in a fairly short period of time on a major social house building program that will start to generate um, income for the country and for the taxpayer uh, stop us spending money ridiculously in, in ridiculously large sums on temporary accommodation that, frankly, a lot of the time isn't fit for purpose and will make a really positive impact on so many people's lives across the country. So it feels like, like I said
2: earlier, not just a social win, but an economic win too, if we can get it right.
1: Thanks, Michael. Phil, what are your thoughts here?
2: Yeah, do you know know what? That's so nicely put. So so I probably wouldn't add anything more in terms of what we'd need to drive uh, further social housing, because clearly, you know, we really need it. Victoria, again, it's no surprise to you that my well-beaten drum is around the irony um, that, you know, Michael touched on this earlier on. The irony that, you know, we're portraying uh, greedy landlords as snapping up uh, property at the expense of, you know, poor old first-time buyers. Uh, When Michael mentioned this earlier on, you you can actually trace the growth in the private rented sector, ironically, back to the the mass sell-off of social housing in the late 80s under the Thatcher government's right to buy scheme. You know, we sold over a million uh, council homes and have never replaced that stock. And all the private rented sector does is, is fill that gap along with some of the other needs, you know, for people who genuinely need to rent or want to rent. Um, so, so I think until we've got a clear social housing policy, you just can't keep up beating a sector that all it's doing is, is simply filling a gap. Uh, and back to my earlier point you know there is definitely uh, a better balanced housing agenda that would see home ownership first time buyers uh, renting either privately or or socially all having a part to play uh, and that's the bit that we really need to focus on as far as i'm concerned
1: hopefully we're nearing the end of the pandemic but but who knows um that but one of the big Downfalls of uh, of the lockdown and coronavirus has been that charities, of course, have been struggling um, in terms of charitable donations. So the fantastic work of charities like Shelter uh, meant, you know, that obviously perhaps the donations they've been enjoying for years have have dried up. So how is Shelter faring at the moment, Michael? And what can be done to help ahead of what is going to be a very tough Christmas for many. Big questions, though. Let's start with Shelter. How's it getting on?
0: It's been really tough. Uh, You know, like many charities, we've seen a huge decline in uh, donations, but also fundraising activity across the year. So all of our fundraising events, for example, have been cancelled. Um, And the the net result for Shelter is that we're several million pounds down on our projected income for this year. Having said that, um, we've been really buoyed by the support that we've had from lots of our supporters, both individuals and some of the companies that back us like BM Solutions have really kind of come to to the fore and helped save us from um, what would have had to be some really, really difficult short term decisions about where we cut spending and how we reduce our service delivery at a time when clearly we're seeing more demand than ever before. You know, calls to our helpline have gone up on average about 25 to 30 percent per week um, pre, when you compare pre and post uh, pandemic figures. So it is difficult. We're simultaneously we're really squeezed on the front line. We're seeing more and more people coming to us for help, anxious and worried about their housing situation. And we're seeing a declining income. Um, you know, I, I, I think we're really at the, the mercy of the public's generosity, is what I would say. I mean, luckily to date, we've we've um, had people come forward and donate to us, and we just hope that that continues because. Sadly I mean you mentioned is is this the end of the pandemic and it might well be um, over the next six months but I suspect the kind of economic effects of the pandemic are going to be around for many months and years to come and really for shelter the, the real emergency unfortunately is only just beginning we're only just about seeing the effects of the eviction ban being lifted um, and what we suspect is going to be a bit of a tidal wave of homelessness across the country, and shelters' work is obviously um, a really valuable lifeline for people that need our help. So we we are hoping that the public continue to be generous and support
1: us. Extremely sobering thoughts. So, um, but for people who are listening to the podcast today, uh, what what can they be doing to help out and, and give shelters some more support? Obviously, cash, presumably.
0: Yes, I mean you'd, you'd expect me to say that, wouldn't you? But yeah, that is that is the reality. I mean, we. Desperately need cash so that we can continue to invest in the support that we provide for people. Um, and you know, I would encourage anybody to give anything they can, no matter how small that is. Um, particularly heading into the winter period, we we know that um, you know homelessness is something that is particularly bad uh, around Christmas for many many reasons. Um, and I would just say, if anybody's listening and they feel that they can afford to contribute, please do because it is a really difficult time for shelter at the moment. And obviously, for the, the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that we help every year.
1: Thanks, Michael. And um, unfortunately, time is against us. So it just to, comes down to me to, to ask you both for, for some final thoughts, really, um, today. So, so Phil, can I come to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to use my final thoughts, Victoria, if it's OK, just to reinforce what Michael said there. I think I've banged on enough about the private renter sector and the part it's got to play. Um, and Michael touched on this, you know, things like even being able to hold a dinner. Um, we were lucky enough to be able to, to uh, support Shelter with the Imla dinner a year or so ago. Um, and I've become very passionate myself about the partnership that we've got and also the fact that we've been able to keep that going for 16 years. And I think for me, to sum it all up, Michael invited me down to one of the shelter hubs last year. And I was able to sit in on some uh, interviews to see firsthand the challenges faced by the people uh, in shelter support team. You know, the guys that sit on the front line and the great work that they do. And, and to be honest, it was the most sobering thing that, I, that I've that i ever seen. Um, so the money that we raise, uh, for me, clearly makes a difference. Uh, and Michael, I feel like I'm going to have to get my running shoes on again, because, as you know, I've run a couple of half marathons for, for Shelter. These, these old legs probably haven't got too many more uh, half marathons in them, but definitely feeling like I, I owe you one. I cower a little bit whenever you talk about running another marathon
0: or doing another bike ride, because it, I think it's fair to say, without me sounding impolite, Phil has a few years on me, but I suspect that he is probably an awful lot fitter than I am. So um, rather you than me, Phil. Um, but yeah, we really appreciate all your support, obviously. And I suppose I I would end just by you know reiterating what Phil has said, that Genuinely, the money that people donate to shelter does make a huge difference. Every day I meet people whose lives have been completely transformed by the fact that we've been able to help them with their housing situation. And for many people sadly we're the 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 last port of call you know they come to us when they're in absolute crisis modes um and when things have gone dramatically wrong and if we weren't there I dread to think what would happen to some of those people so please do donate where you can um and help shelter to make sure that everybody has you know the the right to a safe and secure home which is something that all of us know particularly at this time just how important that is
1: It just remains to me to say a huge thank you to Phil Rickard, Head of BM Solutions, and Michael Stickland, Head of Partnerships at Shelter. And just to wish everybody a peaceful and happier new year for 2021. All the very best and thanks for listening today.
2: Remember to get the latest episodes of the Mortgage Solutions Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts.